Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community, living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. Well, good morning, Alliance Bible Church. It's, uh, it's really good to be with you here today. I, th- I think, I'm gonna, my name is Jason. I, I've met many of you. I was here uh, Palm Sunday about a nine, eight, nine months ago and got to open up God's word with you. It was, it was uh, just a joy for me to be here. It's great to be back. I was also part of your assessment as a church and uh, I'm with the Alliance Northwest field office or the district office as some of you know it. And um, just a joy for me to be here. Am I supposed to, Debbie, I'm looking at you. Am I supposed to uh, dismiss children right now or anything like that? I'm good to go? All right. Good to go. That's what I like to hear. A um, couple of things just, just regarding our, our Alliance Northwest field office that I, I want to ask you for prayer for. Um, many of you know Alliance Northwest, and we are actually in the process of looking for a new district superintendent, a new field director. And so if you think about our office, I know you've got a lot of things to think about uh, with your own church, but as you think about the bigger family of Alliance Northwest churches you know, across, across the region, um, think to pray for, uh, for that next person who will, who will be leading our district. Um, it's a big deal. It's been a really challenging time in our office with the transition of leadership. Um, so if you think to pray for us, our staff, and, and as well for um, the new field director, that would be uh, just a great gift to us in a way that you can be praying for the larger family uh, across Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and, and Idaho. Um, I talked to Steve, Pastor Steve, a, a couple weeks ago, and, and I said, hey, what do you want me to preach about? And he said, uh, well, what's God, what's God doing in your heart? And, um, and I had to think about that for a little bit, and, and so I, I ran an idea past him, and he said, why don't you talk about that? And um, so I'm going to be talking this morning about what God is doing in our lives right now. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the direction that we're going to head. I don't remember what I said for the title. In your, in your bulletin, there's a, some notes. What does the title say? What's God doing now? It hasn't changed much this week. That's good. That's good. So that's where we're going to go today. Um, I, don't, I don't know how you think about the age that we're living in, but, but I think one of the coolest things about the time that we're living in is that through the miracle of webcams and social media, you can know what's happening anywhere in the world at any time. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing time that we live in. For example, there's a live feed from Loch Ness right now that you can watch and you can wait to see if the monster is going to pop up out of the water. You can go, you can watch that right now. There's a webcam at a wedding chapel in Las Vegas where you can see people getting married in real time. I don't know why you would want to do that, but you can do that if you want to. You can see how big the waves are on the north shore of Oahu right now. There's even a site devoted to, brace yourself for this one, watching grass grow. (laughs) The site boasts, this is from the website, uh, please don't go here right now, but 
later maybe if the Seahawks are losing and you're discouraged and you just want to watch grass grow. This is what the website says. This is their tagline. Since 2006, millions of web surfers have uh, watched the grass grow. Another website, you can go to Big Rig Travels and you can watch truckers and their journeys across the country. We have way too much time on our hands, right? <laughs> that, that we would actually care and, and that people actually would go to these places and, and look and see and watch. Um, another webcam worth mentioning is one that's uh, near Jerusalem, which is set up to capture the second coming of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to go into end times theology right now, and that's not really what we're headed today. Um, but this did get me thinking of how helpful it would be if God had his own webcam. <laughs> if God had uh, some kind of a live stream where we could watch him and we could see what he was doing, because we've all asked that question, right? We've all asked the question, God, what are you doing in my life right now? I'd like to see that. I'd like to be more in tune with that. I'd like to be more aware of that. We've asked that question. I mean, here I am, I'm in Hillsboro. I'm dealing with a very discouraging diagnosis from my doctor. God, what are you up to? Maybe you're asking this question today. Could be that your relationship with the Lord feels stale right now. We all walk through seasons when our relationship with Christ feels very stale. Or you're dealing with a family member who's just sucking the life out of you. Maybe there's a sin pattern in your life and you just feel totally helpless against it. It's often when we find ourselves in a difficult spot, it's often when we find ourselves in situations like these that we begin to wonder what God is doing. God, what are you up to? I'd like to see it. I'd like to be aware of it. It would be really helpful to know what that is. So what I want to talk about today is, is God's response to this question. And, and God's response isn't necessarily an easy answer, but it's a deeply reassuring one, I think. And then what I want to do is actually look at three questions that will help us to embrace what it is that God is doing in our lives. So I'm going to give you the answer to the question right off the top of the bat. What's God doing in your life right now? What's God doing in my life right now? The thing that God is doing in our lives right now is that he's making us holy. God is making us holy. He is actively pursuing, working, present in your life as a follower of Christ and in my life to make us holy, to sanctify us. He's actively transforming us to make us more like Jesus. That's what he's up to. And he uses things like, like staleness, pain, disappointment, to reveal places deep within our hearts that he wants to purify. If you could see with your eyes what God is doing in your life right now, and if you could see with your eyes what God is doing in your church right now, this is what you'd see him doing. Making you more like Jesus. Shaping your character so that you reflect the beauty of Christ. Look at how Hebrews 10.14 describes this. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. This is just such a great reference point for us as we think about this work of God in our lives. Hebrews 10.14 describes this perfectly. It says, For by one sacrifice 
He, God, He, Christ, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Did you catch the two different verb tenses there? On the one hand, we have been made perfect by Christ's sacrifice. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to wash away all of our sin. So when God sees us, he sees spotless, clean, pure, perfect. He actually sees Jesus because our sin has been washed away. But on the other hand, We're being made holy. So there's a past tense, we've been made holy, but then there's a, if you're a grammar nerd, there's a present progressive tense. We are being made holy. For even though our sins are washed away, we still sin, right? Daily. Maybe several times in your mind you've sinned since you walked in the doors today. That's the human experience. We sin, we Struggle with sin. Somehow, Hebrews 10, 14 is saying we're perfectly imperfect. Christ's sacrifice has totally washed away our sins, yet we still actively sin. And so there's this ongoing process. In the alliance, we call it sanctification or progressive sanctification. This process by God is making us holy. It's what he's doing in us. He's forming the character of Jesus in us and he specializes. This is the part I want you to catch. He specializes in using our failures to accomplish this. Now this is a very different picture of God than we often see or that we often hear about. Some of us think that God is mostly concerned with us living our best life right now. You've heard that phrase. God just wants me to live my best life now. God wants Jason Simmons to have, you know, the job he wants, the children he wants, the income he wants, the vacations he wants, all of the stuff that, I, that God actually is sort of, if we have this image that God, that's the stuff that he's working on right now. Like we imagine if there was a webcam, that he'd be trying to figure that out. How can I, how can I get Jason into you know, the, the, the best paying job that's going to make him happiest? Sometimes that's how we think about God. Or the most meaningful you know, experiences. God wants to give me meaningful experiences. He wants, my, he, wants to, he wants to give me things in my life, ways to serve, perhaps a vocation, that's going to be deeply satisfying. And that's like what he's trying to figure out. Actually, there's something that God is, is far more concerned about than my short-term happiness. And that's my holiness. God is far more concerned about my long-term holiness than my short-term happiness. And so with the time that we have left, I want to work through these three questions that are going to actually help us to embrace God's sanctifying work in our lives as we head into 2020. First question is this, 
What does it mean that God is making us holy? So you can write that down. It's in the, it's in the blank there. What does it mean that God is making us holy? I think the word holy um, probably has some baggage attached to it for a lot of us. When you think of a holy person, you might think of somebody who's super religious. You might think of somebody who's uh, really good at following particular uh, rules, um, pious piety, a person who um, maybe is a bit of a goody two-shoes, and we think that's, that's holy. Maybe a little bit stiff, maybe a little bit out of touch, but rule followers. The word holy actually means set apart. It means unique. It means different. Jesus is uh, the embodiment of what it looks like to be set apart. He's the embodiment of what holiness looks like. And so he must reframe how we understand that word holy. If we think of anything besides Jesus, when we think of the definition of holy, we're, we're probably off the mark as we're, as we're thinking about what that word means. Jesus is the definition of holiness. He was set apart from sin and he was set apart for God's purposes. So holy people have a growing desire to sin less and to love more. To sin less and to love more. First Thessalonians is a, is a really helpful letter to help us get around, wrap our minds around what holiness looks like and really to challenge our hearts to, to embrace this in our own lives. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. Paul is praying for this church. It's actually Paul, Silas, and Timothy who wrote this letter. So let's give those other guys some credit too, right? Listen to what, listen to what, what they say. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holiness. It says here that God is increasing our love. And there's an implication with that, right? If God is increasing our love, what does that say about our love? It needs to be increased. It needs to grow. Our love is imperfect. It's flawed. It's limited. Our love is uh, at best a mixture, <laughs> right, of good motivation and self-serving motivation. We run out of love. Our love needs help. Our love needs help. We need help to love. Um, draining people suck the love right out of us. If, if you're like, no, I think I got plenty of love. Well, think about the most draining person you know. Maybe you went into Christmas this year fully intent on loving your brother-in-law. And you were like, I'm going to do it. This is the year that I'm not going to lose patience. This is the year that I'm not going to walk out on Christmas dinner. <laughs> you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the guy. Even though he drives me crazy. Even though he is the most self-serving non-self-aware person that I've ever been around. I'm going to love him. And then an hour and a half into Christmas dinner, you were like, I'm done. I'm out. 
My love is gone. It's empty. It is drained. Our love needs help. We need help. We run out of it. Now here's the crazy part. God doesn't just want you to have enough love to cope with your brother-in-law. What does it say? What does the text say? It says that he's sanctifying you to overflow with love. To overflow with love. Just like Jesus. You know how Jesus never ran out of love? That's what God wants to give you. That's the love that he's forming and growing in you. Jesus never ran out of love for Peter, who tried to talk him out of going to the cross, who brazenly pretended like he never knew Jesus. He never ran out of love for Judas, who turned him over to the authorities to be crucified. He never ran out of love for the crowds who were demanding more from him. Miracles, signs, bread. He never ran out of love for his enemies. Part of God's sanctifying work is to grow our love so that it overflows and it doesn't run out. It just pours out of us and so that it doesn't exclude anybody. I don't know which part is harder for you thinking about, do I have enough love or, or who, who gets it and who doesn't? But if you catch what, what the authors say here, it says, may your love overflow for each other and for everyone else. <laughs> everyone else. In the Greek, everyone else means everyone else. Okay? You get what I'm saying here? Like, there isn't a limit to who you love. It's not just reserved for, you know, Republicans <laughs> or Democrats. It's not just reserved for, um, uh, you know, your sister who you like, but not your brother-in-law. He's sanctifying us so that our love will overflow for everyone. Everyone. One of the ways that you can spot God's sanctifying work in your life is that you have a growing love for people whose behaviors disgust you. That's strong language, I know. But you actually have a growing love for people whose behaviors disgust you. I don't know who that is for you. I'm not... I'm not even going to touch that. But you know who that is for you. God wants to soften your heart so that your love will reflect Jesus toward them. He wants to turn your disgust into compassion. The heart he has for them, he wants to give to you. So here's an honest question for you. Alliance Bible Church. Would you describe your love as overflowing? It's okay if, if you wouldn't. Remember, we're all a work in progress, right? We're, we're perfect and we're imperfect. Past tense, your sins are, are washed away. You have the righteousness of Christ. But you're also being made perfect. And Christ wants to perfect your love. He wants to grow your love. Would you describe your love as a church, as overflowing? I believe from the bottom of my heart that, that God wants to increase your love in 2020. That's the work that he's invested in right now. That's what he's doing right now. 
And as verse 13 says, he wants to strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy. It's interesting that that the authors choose the word strengthen. Did you guys catch that? Look back at verse 13. It says, may he strengthen your hearts. He doesn't use the word change. He doesn't use the word fix. He uses the word strengthen. Our hearts are are a mixture of self-serving desires and pure ones. And what God knows is that self-serving desires will actually weaken us. Self-serving desires, if we're left to follow our heart and the self-serving desires of our heart, he knows that those things will actually cause our demise, our undoing. They will actually weaken our lives. And so the prayer here is that that God would strengthen our hearts. God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, would actually lead us to repent of those self-serving desires and in his power embrace purity. And purity, holiness, leads to life. When we live God's way, There's life. He wants to strengthen our hearts so that we'll embrace the things that lead to life. Holiness, purity, Christ-likeness. So the second question is this. How is it then that God uses failures to sanctify us? How is it that God uses failures to accomplish the work that we've been talking about? Since God is actively working on our holiness and since he's in control of what's happening in our world, it only makes sense that he would use troubles, that he would use weakness, that he would use failure, that he would even use our own sin to purify us. When I think about people in scripture who were sanctified through failure, first person that I think of is Peter. Many of you know the story of Peter. I've already talked a little bit about him. Peter denied Jesus three times, just brazenly, after telling Jesus that he would, he would die for him. So Peter's one of these guys, and maybe you've done this before. He makes a commitment to God, I'll never do that again. You ever done that? Uh. <laughs> and then you do it again? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I can relate. So So Peter fails. After he disowned Jesus the third time, we read in the story that he went outside and he wept bitterly. He was crushed. He felt horrible about himself. He felt the guilt, the disappointment. He was overwhelmed. But if you know the story, you know that Jesus did not waste this in Peter's life. He actually used it to help Peter see that he wasn't as strong as he thought he was. He used it to address Peter's arrogance. As if if Peter could follow Jesus with his own strength. Peter was probably a a fairly strong appearing person. The kind of person you interact with who's, you know, kind of got a big personality. You're like, what? That guy's probably pretty strong. But uh, beneath that facade, he was... He was weak, just like the rest of us. He couldn't follow Jesus on his own. He couldn't do it. He failed. But Jesus used that to expose Peter's weakness, to expose uh, that his heart needed strengthening. And so, and so God uses this in his life. And 
Peter goes on to become this spirit-empowered pillar, the rock um, that Jesus said he would build his church upon. But that came through failure. That came through Peter's own sin and Christ redeeming that and sanctifying that. For the last several months, I've been, I've been um, experiencing some of this kind of work in my own life. I, I um, have, uh, for probably almost a year, I've been considering some, some new ministry that uh, I've been really praying and, and trying to decide, is this what God wants me to step into? And as I've been praying about that, I've been, I've been talking to people and, and talking to my amazing wife, Kathy, about it. And, and um, as I've processed it with Kathy, she's um, like our spouses are so good at, she's kind of able to see stuff maybe in my heart and, and maybe in the way that I'm, I'm talking about it that is kind of below the surface. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the sixth sense, <laughs> the intuition that Jason, as you talk about this ministry, there's something that's kind of off. <laughs> and, and she's reading it. And so I was processing this with her one day and she, she asked me the question. She goes, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? I was like, oh, that's a, that's a good question. What am I looking for? So I gave her like the quick answer, the really fast answer, you know, like, well, but this and this, I just rattled it off. I said, I'm looking for community and I'm looking for challenge. And then I, I gave her that answer. She's like, okay. And, and I kind of walked away thinking that I was done with the question. Well, it was one of those questions that the Holy Spirit sort of used to kind of haunt me because I couldn't stop thinking about the question. What are you looking for? And as I processed the question, as I prayed through it, I, uh, I started to realize that part of my motivation for this ministry is that I felt like I needed to do more for God. I needed to do more for God. Jesus starts to shine a light on my heart that I'm actually disappointed in my past that I'm disappointed that I haven't, my ministry hasn't been enough. That somehow I haven't made enough disciples or I haven't loved people well enough or I haven't led enough people to Christ and I'm disappointed with myself and that that's actually part of what has been driving me to consider ministry, different ministry. So I shared this with my mentor. I have a mentor that I, I meet with about once a month. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, God is so good to show you this because he takes your desire for holiness seriously. God is so good to show you this because he takes your desire for holiness seriously. You see, what God has been showing me about me is that there's a holy way to make disciples, driven by genuine love for people. And then there's an unholy way to feel better about myself by being successful in ministry, driven by doing more for God, but not actually overflowing with love for people. That's ugly. 
But remember what I said earlier. I applied it to you and I'm applying it to me too. We're all a mixture. There's these pure desires in our heart that are, are birthed out of genuine love for God and genuine love for people and, and a desire to be pure and holy and Christ-like. And then there's these not-so-beautiful desires in our heart that are driven by self and making our own flesh feel good. Both of those desires are in my heart. But God in his grace is showing this to me and, and in his kindness, he's leading me to repent and ask the Holy Spirit for overflowing love. If you've been following, with, uh, following Jesus for any length of time, you know, you know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit expose wicked desires in your heart. You know what that's like. This is part of God's sanctifying activity in your life. He brings light to those pl dark places in our hearts because he's far more concerned about making us holy than making us happy. So how is this good news? That's the last question. How is this good news? Because that just kind of sounds hard. Like is sanctification really, does God making us holy, does it really have to be miserable? <laughs> you know, does it, does it have to be? And it's, it's actually, it's actually very good news. So the third question, how is this good news? Earlier in my walk with Jesus, I, I remember feeling awful kind of how Peter probably felt when I became aware of, of my sin. Conviction didn't feel good, right? And for me, I associated a bad feeling with a bad cause, right? That was the connection. That was about as deeply as I thought about it. This doesn't feel good to be convicted or to be exposed or to have Jesus shine light on my heart in this way. So there must be a, a bad cause. And the problem with that kind of thinking is that, is that what it does is it makes me the subject of the whole thing. Like, I must have brought this upon myself. Right? Like, bad feeling, bad cause, I'm the bad cause. But everything we're talking about today is God's work. This is, this is God's activity. Remember, this is what God is doing in our lives. This isn't about me. It's about what God wants to do in me. I'm the object of sanctification. I'm the object of his work and his operation in my life to make me holy, to grow my love to, to overflowing. Um, the fact is, is that, is that something that feels bad can actually be good, right? Uh, doctors come to mind here. We, we uh, well, you probably have... We could probably swap medical stories sometime and, 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 you know, we could really get into this. I'll, I'll just tell you one quick one. A couple years ago, I went to the doctor because I was having some issues with my voice. And, um, and I had to go see the ear, nose, and throat doctor. And these guys, man, they're wicked. They are just evil. He had this camera attached to this skinny tube. It's the best way I can describe it. Or a little skinny pipe. And he took the camera and I was like, well, can you just put, you know, like take a picture, like put it in my mouth and take a picture down. He's like, no, no, no. We got to run that thing up through your nose, out your sinus passage and down into your throat. And I'm like, I, I think you could just probably like reach in there and, you know, like get a good angle and maybe, you know, turn the flash on. It'll be great. No, no, that won't work. We got to put it up here. So imagine having your head roto-rooted. 
yeah, yeah. Like the plumbing is backed up and they're got to go in there and figure out what the problem is. That, it was awful, but it was good. It had to happen. It was necessary, right? Quite unpleasant, but good. This is what God's sanctifying activity is like. It's like surgery. It can be like an amputation. Think about the words of Jesus here. Shocking words that when we read them, we just pass over them because we're like, I'm not sure what to do with that. This is what he said. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Because getting rid of sin and wearing an eye patch is a whole lot better than keeping your eye and going to hell. I. <laughs> and he talks about other body parts too, not just eyes. I mean, this is how seriously God takes our holiness. But this is good news. Things that feel bad can be good. And, and it actually tells us that, that God would actually go to great lengths to do this kind of work in, in our lives. This tells us something about God and something very, very good about him. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Just flip back to chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. I'm sorry, verses 23 and 24. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. This is good news. For starters, God is with you. When you experience the conviction of sin, it's evidence that he's there. He's present. He's active. Sometimes we believe the lie that Jesus saves us, but then he leaves us on our own to figure out the sanctification part. That he, he kind of like... And his big thing is to get us to trust the finished work of Christ, the cross, to save us from our sin, and then figure the rest of it out. How do you follow Jesus? How do you, how do you love your brother-in-law? How, do um, how do you not look at pornography? How do, you, how do you love your wife? How do you serve your children? How do you do this stuff? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you serve the poor? Like we got to figure all that out on our own. And what what this is saying here is that God is actually the one who is with us in that he is the one who's doing it. So we're not alone. We're not abandoned. It's also good news that you can actually change. <laughs> some of us some of us are like, man, I don't I don't know. I've gotten to the point in my life where I just don't think this broken part of me is ever going to change. You've tried and it ain't working. Take heart. God takes your sanctification seriously. 
And verse 24 says, he will do it. It's on him. It's a promise. We can and we will become more like Christ. Finally, this is good news. Because God is making his church into something profoundly beautiful. God is making his church into something profoundly beautiful. We don't have time to look at this today, but Ephesians chapter 5 describes those of us who follow Jesus as Christ's bride. We're the bride of Christ. And we're a bride that he is making radiant and perfect and absolutely stunning. This is our, our destiny. This is this is going to culminate one day when we're presented face to face with Jesus. And we ain't going to be ugly, broken, wrecked sinners. We're going to be a beautiful, spotless bride dressed in white, made pure for our face to face encounter with Jesus. We've all been to weddings, and there's the part in the wedding when the, when the bride comes in from the back of the church or the park or the bar or wherever the wedding is. And the bride comes in and everybody stands up and turns and looks at the bride. And she's as beautiful as she's ever been. Dressed in a beautiful white gown. Perfect hair. The teeth look photoshopped, right? It's amazing. And, and, and we're stunned and the music plays and we're just like, wow, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. But have you ever looked at the groom at that part? Sometimes I get to do weddings and I get to like take a quick peek over at the groom. We're all admiring this beautiful bride. And then I look over at the groom and it's like, man, Kool-Aid smile, right? Ear to ear, cheesy, happy. Because his, his bride, his radiant bride, is being presented to him. We are that bride. We are going to be presented spotless. That's, that's where all of history is going. God is making all things new, including us. That's where we're going. One day, each of us who follow Jesus will be presented to him as pure and spotless and drop-dead beautiful. This is our destiny. So when you find yourself wishing you could see what God is doing in your life, remember that he's there, that he's active, that he says you can change so you can change, that he cares about every part of your life, soul, mind, body, spirit, cares about every, every bit of who you are, and that he's actively at work to make you holy. I want to invite Jason and musicians back up, Courtney and Allison. We're going to respond and sing one more song. And as they get ready, I just want to say a prayer for us as we respond to, to this truth. <laughs> Heavenly Father, 
You save us and you sanctify us. You, you save us from ourselves and then you make us more like yourself. And we are right now just a work in progress. But I pray that, I pray that we would sit still and allow you to shine the light on our hearts and our lives into those dark corners and those places that, that maybe we've been keeping from you. Those places that you actually want to shine light because you love us and you invite us to repent and to embrace holiness. Oh God, you are so good for doing this work in our lives. Use our failures, use our weaknesses, and we're just in awe. Would you help us to be uh, willing participants with this, this work that you're doing in our lives? I pray that you'd help Alliance Bible Church of Hill, Hillsborough to be a willing participant in the sanctifying work that you want to do in her right now. God, I bless this church. to receive the work that you want to continue to do in her and in each of our lives individually. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.